gorgeous Georgian goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back here on a Thursday for Thursday delivery. That's right. We're doing it Thursday morning this time. And I uh, hope you're all well. This is our second show of the week. Plan on talking about UFC 275, which takes place on Saturday. Do not forget about our watch along taking place on Saturday as well, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. More on that in a bit. We'll cover the latest news. We'll tell you what's going on out in Singapore. Luckily, we have a good team out there. Abby and Mike are covering the event for us. Of course, another Ultimate Fighter has dropped. Another Ultimate Fighter. Let me see Episode 6 from Season 30. Just wondering if you guys have been enjoying that. Tell you the truth. Eh, kind of surprised me a little. And I feel like it even has more room to uh, go out with a bang. So I'll share my thoughts on that. It's MMA Junkie Radio on a Thursday, June 9th. First things first, still battling the Rona, and oh, should have included this in the intro, Graham Boylan, the president and promoter of Cage Warriors, will join us as well. He also doubles as a manager for fighters like Patty Pimblett and Molly McCann. Nice fella, known him for a long, long time. Cage Warriors at one time used to be presented on MMA Junkies website. That's where we developed the relationship. And Cage Warriors, who's mostly known for throwing shows in the UK and Europe, has expanded their their shows to the west coast of the United States. They're in San Diego, California on Friday. A few tickets left if you want to go check it out. I was saying that a uh, quick Rona update. You know, technically, I know I still have it because I have a few symptoms, but I've yet to test. could be that the test says negative and you're just being a pussy. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, we're kind of saving the tests. I ordered more. And if you don't know, there's a website that that uh, you can order another eight tests if you want. So you're well stocked up in case you run into the same thing that we did. You always want to have enough available because you really <laughs> have to get out until you're negative. Anyway, uh, you just heard Goza's cough. How you feeling, Goza? Better. You know, and the mornings are pretty good. And then throughout the day, like, the cough is kind of what gets me. But, but yeah, like, uh, yeah, like you said, you can, you can take your test and it can come up negative, which means you no longer have the virus in you, but you're still left with the damage that it left, right? You know, your coughs, your runny noses, your sore throats, that sort of shit. So we're yeah. uh, just being extra careful. And there's times during the day that I, feel pretty good, but I still know I'm positive. Bottom line is I need to take a test. I'll probably take one today. And uh, I've been more concerned about just making sure I keep my dad safe. He's had four negative tests, and that's great. So my mom and I are still positive, I think. But I think it's fair that we maybe try it today and see how it it uh, shakes out. 
Uno. Actually, I think only one of us needs to try it. I think the other one will realize that they're probably in the same boat. But, uh, yeah, as far as the watch along, you know, the original plan was for me to do it remotely. But now I may just, that might only be my only choice is to do it remotely. Because, I don't know, goes could her and I still drive back to Vegas? We're, we're also getting close to our next appointments out in Vegas, so we have to come back anyway. It looks like I'm just going the way of uh, not going to the graduation party. You know, I was thinking about it this morning. I woke up early, took a shower, and I thought I I was kind of updating myself on the CDC rules. It says after five days, if you feel good, no symptoms, you can go out and mingle. You should wear a mask, however. But all I kept thinking about was, well, all my friends know I have Rona. Wearing the mask will probably present questions like, hey, how you been? Why are you wearing the mask? Oh, I just had Rona. I mean, can you imagine? People kind of like, well, what the fuck are you doing here? You know, either that or even though you'll explain that you just had a negative test or maybe you're not feeling the symptoms, I still think people might kind of like back up a couple spots. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I actually had this conversation with Laura, George, this morning or last night. mm -hmm. She's like, if I test negative in the morning, I might just go to work. And I'm like, well, even if you do, we're already at Thursday. Think about how uncomfortable you're going to be there. Everybody knows you've been gone. Everybody knows you have the Rona. Just a little cough or something, you know? <laughs> like you're just going to feel like an asshole. And then, even though you're negative, if somebody else catches it, yes. they're going to point at you. You know what I mean? So, exactly. like, all you got to do is sweat out. Sweat out one more day, and then I'm like, at that point, you're up Friday. Like, just might as well fucking take the week off now. But I mean, like, think about how uncomfortable that would be. And then anybody coming out of that party is going to blame you. Right. Exactly. (laughs) If it turns into a super spreader, people are going to point the finger at me. Because just as there's these things called false positives, meaning you're really negative, I imagine a false negative could could exist and you're really positive or who knows, man, but I would feel terrible because graduation parties, not only are it's usually the kids and then there's the adults, which I mean, I'm an adult. I still act like a kid, but I'm an adult. And then there's the seniors, which I'm not yet, but they're going to be like the grandparents and things like that. I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. I don't want to make anyone feel like, you know what? We're going to cut out early. It's only, you know, you just got here a couple hours ago. Yeah, but, and then all of a sudden that little silent thumb, you know, like, yeah, homeboy over there, you know, like, freaking us out. I didn't post any of this on social media, but my good buddies know, and I'm sure they tell people. So, uh, yeah, I just kind of don't want to be that guy, I, you know, and, and plus here in the Inland Empire of California, it'll be hot. You know how I feel about wearing the mask for too long start sweating i just i don't know i I think my godson will forgive me i went to a lot of football games this year i plan on going to a lot of football games in his college career um but this one i i need two negative tests and i'd love to have one um well fuck with him cage warriors is tomorrow so i would love to have a negative test today and tomorrow and then maybe i could show my face at cage warriors but if not, then at least tomorrow and Saturday and show my face at the party. I would leave it in my buddy's hands and go, look, man, it's your call. 
<laughs> to your event, but uh, I've just kind of been been thinking about it. I just don't have that fucking attitude I used to. You know, like yeah, whatever. The hell with everyone. This is different. So it's kind of where I'm at, man. Um, it, getting back to the watch along, 10 Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. I'll probably be here and watch it here, and Gills and I are do our very very best. Now it's almost. Uh, it was by choice at first, but now it looks like we just might have to do it this way. The only other thing I can think of is if I just, if I do with not doing the stuff I wanted to do with here in, in uh, Southern California, head back to Vegas. But uh, I don't know. How, how do you guys feel about mom and I arriving down there? Yeah, same, same thing. Doesn't make us uncomfortable. Everyone's just positive technically at this moment. Yeah. We would probably like still maybe all stay away from each other a little bit, but I think uh, especially if we're now we're producing negative tests and business as usual. Right. All right. So UFC 275 is this weekend. We were discussing this on our other show, Triple G Patreon. It's very top-heavy. You got two title fights, Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prochaska, Valentina Shevchenko versus Talia Santos. So your two champions defending are Teixeira, Shevchenko. I'm not even going to ask you which one's the most likely to lose. They're both great champions, by the way. Tough, tough fighters. But right now, Valentina Shevchenko's been on a roll, crushing her opposition. I do like that this young lady has knockout power, and she's young and hungry. I just don't know if she's experienced, but who knows? And then with uh, Yuri Petroska, he's kind of almost, you could almost describe him the same way you described Talia Santos. Can crack, for sure. Youth on the side. Just experience, well, not much. I think Yuri Petroska's only had two fights in the UFC. So it's not even like there's been this long UFC career or anything like that. He's just been very impressive outside the UFC Brings over a formidable record, beating some some tough fighters, including our good friend King Mo. King Mo also put one on him. Uh, but he deserves it. You know, he deserves this shot against Glover Teixeira. No one's saying otherwise. And then you have Zhang Wei Li versus Joanna Yonjechuk. Now, after that, there's a little bit of a drop-off, not just on the main card, but on the whole card itself. However, with those three fights that I presented, it's kind of hard not to get excited at least about those three. Would you not say? Yeah, I mean, I'll, anytime you get to see Valentina Shevchenko, no matter who her opponent is, it's just kind of like a a thing of beauty, you know, the way she yeah. fights. So I like tuning in for that reason. Uh, main event, hey, I mean, look, yeah, Yuri can crack. He's probably going to hit um, Glover at some point. Glover's probably going to do the chicken dance. But Glover's shown that he can bounce back, and if he gets things in his position, then he could. I actually picked Glover, George. I saw a lot of our staff picks were were Yuri heavy, but uh, Glover's just kind of like convinced me, dude. He just finds ways to win. So I actually picked him in that fight. I think I don't think that's going more than two, maybe three rounds max. And then um, the feature bout, like it, I feel like it's the first time in a while that the uh, the feature bout is on my side, the one that I'm most excited about. Right. I am as well. 
and I'll bring you over some of the discussion from Triple G Show here to this junkie nation audience of ours. This is slowly solidifying itself as a number one contender fight. Dana White said so. Dana White also left an opening. And, of course, with Joanna on the scene, you know she's going to try her hardest to inject that into everything out there because I think she is just foaming at the mouth knowing she put it on Carla the first time they fought. She could probably do it again, and that's her probably thinking. And so when Carla defeated Rose, think about the opening that gave her because she's 0-2 against Rose. Basically, man, to get to that third fight, that would have been a long road. Really, if she fights Zhang Wei Li and beats her, she'd only be one and one against Zhang Wei Li. I don't know that that gets to the third fight with Rose. I still think she would need one more. But Rose is out. Carla's in. She's beating Carla. Now, my whole thing is, and this is why I presented the whole top-heavy uh, 275 card, everything. Marina Rodriguez, I just kind of threw it out there. I'm not, like, huge on the on the Marina Rodriguez campaign. Like, you know, I threw it out there. Sometimes when Junkie posts on Instagram and I get in there, I'll, I'll comment. A lot of times uh, I, I get some comments back, some very intelligent ones, some dumb ones. But I thought, but I thought to myself, well, Okay, I think I think something having to do with Joanna and Yang Wei Li being number one was was thrown out there, and I said, "Well, what about Marina Rodriguez? You know, like is she just being too quickly overlooked? She's won four in a row. She's got an excellent record. She's been active. And here's the thing: is I know that the immediate answer is, but she's not a star. Zhang Wei Li's a star, a former champion. China, hello, a billion people. Joanna and Jacek, former champion. Poland's a Great athletics country. They produce athletes in many different sports. Um, Five title defenses. I get all that. I get why the UFC is like, yes. Like, one of our two big stars has a chance to be champ again. But my whole thing is, they've been given a lot of chances. Sean Wei got an immediate rematch after getting finished. Joanna's had a ton of chances. They even gave her a shot at the vacant title. For flyweight, if you'll recall, when her and Valentina fought, it was for the vacant title. Valentina became champ. Now Valentina's had six title defenses. This will be her seventh if she's successful. So she's had a, quite a few title shots. And after out for two and a half years, man, I, I just want to see someone else thrown in that mix. Here's why. Because how do we know that Marina Rodriguez versus Carlos Barza, that might be a classic. You know what I mean? Charles Oliveira was probably a guy goes that was maybe even given up on as he started out as lightweight, went to featherweight, had some weight clamp misses, would give up, no heart, this, that, whatever. I bet you the UFC was probably like giving him contracts, just going, yeah, you kind of get the job done. You win some, you lose some. You don't really know much English, but you're you're a good kid. You know, you're a good kid. And then all of a sudden he goes on a streak. All of a sudden he gets in the right spot to get the vacant title shot against. Chandler, he wins. Now he's got Chandler, Poye, Gagey in his back pocket. All of a sudden, we kind of have ourselves a Brazilian star. You see how you see how it can just happen as well because he was also given an opportunity. You know what I mean? And that's kind of the point I'm trying to make is you can't create new stars if you also don't put them in the position. 
I'm not forcing Marina Rodriguez in there. I'm not going, she's got a one-fight win streak or anything like that. I, you know, she's kind of earned it. Yeah, I kind of see where the UFC's thinking too, though. Like, <coughs> excuse me, Joanna was, um, she was a fun champ. Like, you know, she went back to that little, little, I don't know what it's called that she does at the, uh, little the yeah, like she has like these little things. She's got this it factor. It mm-hmm. really was fun when she was at the top. And yeah. I think it could be her last chance. It's the perfect avenue to get it done. Um, I think Rose Namajunas is probably like pulling her head. Well, you know what I mean? She's probably mm-hmm. slipping out, right? Because think about it. Rose has had to do two rematches with Joanna, two with Carla, and two with Wei Lee. Like, come on. Like, she probably wants to fight somebody new, too. And two with Jessica. Yeah, and two Andrade. with Jessica. That's, that's insane. Like, I don't care how good you are. I I have to imagine that probably makes things a little boring for you in your career when you have to just constantly do that. So she'd probably be all about your idea. But uh, I think the UFC kind of has a soft spot a little bit for Joanna. Um, she was around right when they were starting to do a little a lot of that expansion too. Um, so I, I think they kind of have a little soft spot for her. This is her last I chance, and and I and I think this is probably this is the hardest part to be honest because, um, yeah, Carla has improved and all that, but I don't know that I take her over Joanna. Uh, That's just bad stylistically. I think I like them both. Make no mistake, but at some point Rose is going to go. Well, what about me? I'm kind of the one that hung L's on everyone here, or at least I'm one and one. Versus Andrade, you know, so kind of what about me? Like, I don't know. They need to inject some of that newer blood in there as well. And you and I, since about 2007, said, hey, that dude from Miami, he's kind of funny. I wonder if he's going to blow up like Kimbo, George Mazadal. He struggled through Japan. He struggled over at Strike Force, early UFC at 155, 170. We kept saying, this guy's really funny in interviews. He's got a swag to him. He's got a, you know, he's from the streets. His team likes him. He's got a good team. And the UFC didn't even get a whiff of that, goes. Didn't even get a whiff of it. And then all of a sudden he knocks out Darren Till, has that incident in the back, three-piece in a soda. Then the knee over Ben Askren, boom, you got yourselves a star. You know what I mean? He was given chances, and now the UFC loves to feature them, feature him whenever they can. I'm not comparing Marina Rodriguez to him in that regard. I'm just giving you an example of if someone's earned it like your Rodriguez is or Ch- Josh Emmett's or whatever, at some point, uh, you got to blend it in, blend it in a little bit. And it's just kind of weird to me. You know, I was watching Ioli interview Dana White. And every time, see, Dana White, when he does these interviews on Fight Week, he does, I've seen him on Barstool with our old colleague, John Morgan, um, Kevin Ioli. He wants to talk about UFC 275, two title fights, order that pay-per-view. He's doing his job, promoter. He's not going, by the way, to the fights. 
Turns out his kid's turning 21 and he wants to spend it with him. I get it. Plus, at the same time, that's a far fucking flight when you're 52 years old. Um, however, you can tell that he also knows that during those 15 minutes he commits to each outlet, people are going to go, hey, let's do a little housekeeping while we're here. Mm-hmm. You know, since we've already covered 275, there's a couple straggler questions. He knows they're coming. What about Diaz? What about Poirier? McGregor update. Angon Jones. You know what? I, and he's got to do it. He realizes it. He's just hoping the clock runs out and then the interviewer goes, well, hey, I've taken up enough of your time. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and he gives his answers and he tries to give you updates, this, that, or whatever. But um, like I said, every time Ioli brought up the fact, hey, homegirl hasn't fought in almost two and a half years. Or Jean Lee's coming off a couple losses or, you know, anything that didn't make it sound like these should be number one contender, he had to go into some sort of a spin control. You know what I mean? To Because it, it does sound kind of weird, especially because he comes from boxing. You and I come from boxing as well. Um, him as a, you know, uh, former manager or whatever, boxing world we're trying to say. We're not former boxers or nothing. Um but following the sport, boxing man, when they present you a fight, it's twenty-two and zero against nineteen and one, and you never have a problem when it comes to records because boxing pads their fighters up until it's time, and then when it's time, boom, you know you unleash on someone somebody that's pretty formidable. MMA's a lot, lot different, you know. But I could just see him kind of cringing and having to spin it a little bit and get away from these losses and this and that or whatever because he knows. Their job is to put on big business fights. Big business is Joanna and Zhang Weili, not Marina Rodriguez. So I can tell it's a juggling act between that and who deserves it, which is like the other one, which Rodriguez was like, I think 16, 1 and 1, 4 and 0 in her last, you know, four or five win streak or whatever. Um, not trying to make a big deal out of it. I'm just trying to cover it all with all the details as possible so that people don't think, oh, I'm anti UFC, I'm anti Poland, I'm anti China or anything like that. Yeah, and you have to remember that, like you said, this is a top-heavy card, so they want you to buy it. They have to give you reasons to buy it. They're also going up against NHL playoffs. They're going up against NBA playoffs, and I'm not saying they're going head-to-head with them, but they're those are taking up your time. You know, you can't be a, a, a fat, lazy slob all weekend either, right? Like, at some point, your wife's going to go, what the fuck? Like, how many championships are there? Or what's going on here? The UFC is asking you for eight hours of your time. You better make it worthwhile, right? Like, I think you're going to probably have to skip one of those and go to church or take the kids to the park or something. So he's got to make it sound like he can miss his card. And especially with a card that's a little top heavy, it's kind of difficult to do. 2020 was a great fight. I'll leave it at that. Um, I expect a great fight from these two. Number one contender, I let's let the fight tell us if it is or it isn't. But when I can, I'm going to campaign for the fighter that deserves it. And when I can, I will campaign for the bigger names. But hopefully they also deserve it. You know what I mean? Max Holloway, 0-2 against um, Alex Volkanovsky. But second one was close. He had title defenses. He came back and smashed Cater. 
You know, like I feel like, okay, okay, we can build a case there. But these other two, those losses, they're just there. The time off on Joanna, like, I don't know, man. Like, I, it just doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like both of, both of them, whoever wins, would still need one more win. But whatever. I'm done with that. Regarding Valentina Shoshenko, if I'm not mistaken, the new belt holds eight rubies. She has a chance to put a seventh ruby on. Um, that's pretty legit. And she would be joining company like Matt Hughes, Jose Aldo, um, and I believe Amanda Nunes, if she can get to a seventh title defense. That's pretty elite. I'm not sure if there's a that sits at eight, but I know GSP sits at nine. Anderson Silva sits at 10, and John Jones and Demetrius Johnson sit at 11. So slowly but surely, she's kind of climbing up the, those ranks. That's kind of that's the historical part you were talking about, right? Seeing if she can uh, put Santos in the rearview mirror and, and and get closer to that immortality. She's just like, I don't, to me, it's like like watching Doc Holliday sling guns. You know, like I, I don't know, it's. She's so good at it at this point, and it's so funny when people bring things up to her because she has this look like, don't you know who I am? But she just doesn't really say it uh, in the interviews. So I've enjoyed, I just enjoy watching her. It's a masterpiece when she goes out there and performs. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned, Dana, and like interviews, a couple things did come out that I thought were kind of funny or interesting. One, somebody had asked him about a fight that had gotten away. And how um, about Brock and uh, Fedor was one that he really wanted to make happen. And uh, I think that would have been a good fight for the UFC because, look, say what you will about Brock Lesnar. He's still massive. And Fedor, it's not the first time he had been put on his back. You know, like people can put Fedor on, on their back. So, like, no matter what happens, you were probably left with a good scenario if you're the UFC. I think that would have been really, really fun to watch. Would, would you have been down with that matchup? Oh, yeah. I mean, going a little further, I was down to see Fedor versus Randy. Yeah. I was, I was down to see them two mix it up. And then Fedor versus Brock, of course. But uh, GSP versus Anderson was pretty massive as well. I definitely wanted to see that. And I know we've put out an article on other fights that many of us wanted to see. Let me just throw a crazy one out there that didn't get mentioned. I really wanted to see Triple C and Demetrius Johnson part three. Yeah. Because they were one and one, and they were both big, big names, especially Triple C with, uh, well, he hasn't, he wasn't even Triple C at the time. And I suppose that if they stick around and do that rematch, Maybe he never becomes Triple C. But uh, I always wanted to see them fight a third time. And uh, if, you go to the art, if you go to the article on MMA Junkie, you'll see a few other fights that were tough out there that we all wish we would have seen at some point. Um, I mean, I'm sure there could be a lot of crossover stuff from back in the day, but... Um, that can't be his only one. And I think he expressed that was his only one. I was like, well, you're missing a glaring one with Randy and, and Fedor and also GSP and Anderson. GSP and Anderson used to get broken down on MMA radio. We would actually he break it down. Do like he, was huh? 
He couldn't do that because it was uh, it was already affliction, right? It was already Randy was already gone. Uh, well, yeah, but pretty sure he could do whatever he wants at, at some point. I mean, affliction was only around for what a year and a half, a year. They had the two shows, and then the one that fell apart, and Randy still came back to the UFC and fought what till 2010, I think, was the fight versus Machida when they fought in Toronto, maybe 2011. And Fedor's mm-hmm. still active as of right now. So there was still plenty of time after Affliction where that could have happened. They just couldn't make it happen. Now, I do give them credit. Sounds like they boarded a private jet. They flew out to some island. He says, I don't even remember where the hell it was. Sounds somewhere like off the coast of, uh, somewhere around the Mediterranean, it sounds like to me. And Fedor's camp got greedy. They asked for a lot. Right now, Fedor is managed by a guy named Jerry Millen, who worked with, uh, he was like the American president of Pride back in the day. Saki Kabara was the president, but I guess the U.S. operations kind of had a president. It was Jerry Millen. We got to know him a little bit. Cool guy. Um, likes to, you know, promote a fight, run some smack a little bit. Had no problems with him. I think if Jerry Millen and Dana White huddle up, that deal gets done. But Vadim Finkelstein was just probably a pretty ruthless cat who went for it. Now, what I can't understand is when they boarded the plane and went home and it didn't happen, at some point, what Dana says is the money wasn't that far apart. It was the fact that Vadim Finkelstein wanted the UFC to build a stadium in Russia and either the fight was going to be there or whatever. So these guys obviously saw... The UFC paid $70 million for the rights to the Pride and the contracts, and they were slinging some money around. Remember, they bought up WFA, Pride, not yet Strikeforce, but I think they were starting to absorb WEC. So they must have seen dollar signs, and that's why they wanted to be a part of it. And that I think they just overplayed their hand. But at some point, isn't there a round two of negotiations? I mean, Manny and, and Floyd didn't get done on deal one. You know, it got done at the Miami Heat game, I guess, by some CBS executive that just happened to ask, hey, how come we never got it done? Oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. Let's bring them together, you know. And then all of a sudden, boom, the wheels were turning. That one I thought was worth a um, uh, a second or third try. But, you know, it's it, I guess it's maybe that type of mentality that made them successful, right, where fighters just kind of – they know that they can push a little bit, but they can't push too much because the UFC just moves on. But you're right. I mean, it wouldn't have hurt to have a round two. Um, I thought something I mean, else. It's that- not like Scott Coker built, built a stadium in, in Russia, right? And he signed with Strikeforce somehow. True. I thought something else that was kind yeah. of uh, interesting. Did you hear Oscar De La Hoya and what he said? He wants to apologize for Dana and just get on with it? That too. But uh, – I thought it was kind of cool that he admitted he dodged a bullet and not fighting Vitor Buffett. Those were his words. When I read that, I was like, yeah, you probably did, man. I don't know. He was going to get served up? Is that what he's saying? I think so. I, I think he just meant, like, in the in the time that, of his life, you know, and all that. Like, it just probably wasn't good. But, uh, you know. Well, that was only about a year ago, right? A little bit more now, right? I think uh, it was the Rona. He got the Rona. But maybe just things going on in his life or who knows. It seems like he's turned his life around a little bit, his mm-hmm. thinking. 
But you rarely hear boxers say those types of things, right? Yeah. You know, when you look at Scott or Oscar, he's a good-looking guy. He's aged well, I guess you could even say. And, yeah, he's had his public abuse. I'm telling you, guys, in 92, when he won that title or the gold medal, and then he come out, he came out, he was blitzing fighters really, really bad. Like, he did have some skills, man. Oh, yeah. There's no way around. He only lost a split decision to Floyd Mayweather, for crying out loud. It's just that the later years, he got smashed by Pacquiao. You know, he quit on the stool and um, just he went from like, you know, when you start to decline, that decline was like, I forget the name of the roller coaster that Magic Mountain finally built where they go, you know what? Enough with the angles. We're going straight down. And that was basically oh, you know, Goliath. Goliath. Yeah, Goliath, where you just go, uh, it just, yeah, you're going straight down 90 degrees. That's kind of what happened to this guy. So there wasn't even like this old, well, in his in his downward spiral, it wasn't like, man, maybe he can get it together, pull together. No, fuck. Everything was going bad. Personal life, physically, mentally, like he was just, you know, cross-dressing and everything. Like he, I don't know, man, it was just a completely different guy than the killer that I remember from the early 90s. I mean, I remember going, they had a closed circuit, not pay-per-view, closed circuit for Julio Cesar Chavez. And I'm sitting at the old Long Beach Arena with Gabe, his grandpa. Were you there? No, but I'm I'm getting really confused with closed circuit because I thought you couldn't get closed circuit at home. However, I specifically remember watching that fight at David's house, which is dad's neighbor friend, remember? But I do remember people going to a stadium to see it. And then I remember WrestleMania 1 was closed circuit, but somehow we watched it at Felipe's house. Do you remember that? So am yeah. I not well, understanding? Closed circuit means there's no pay-per-view providers. So how you guys were able to do it, I don't know. But closed circuit meant you had to go to an actual stadium and watch it. They control it that way by not allowing people to watch it at home. Probably dumb, to tell you the truth. But actually watched a few Peru World Cup elimination games by going up to the LA Sports Arena with dad and our uncles and uh, you would sit in a stadium and it was a cool environment you know you hear the whistles and this and that or whatever but you you just couldn't watch it at home pay-per-view changed the landscape but for a while these guys flipped it and said that's the way we're going to do it and I don't know if that was a way of fighters making more money or what but I just remember I had to go to an arena, and I watched it, and I couldn't believe within a minute how bloody Julio Cesar Chavez's face was. Oscar was just running through him. And even so, Southern California is Oscar's stomping grounds. He was the enemy, man. There was a lot of Mexican fans that wanted Julio Cesar Chavez to put it on Oscar de la Hoya, and that did not happen, folks. Um, So... I've always been of the opinion that a lifelong boxer, unless there's a huge age discrepancy or they've really fallen off, will always have a good chance against um, an MMA fighter because these are just repetitions and skills and muscle memory that can't be duplicated. But, wow, wow, for him to be that honest is is a very, very different thing to hear. So after that Chavez fight, he fought Ike Corte. That was a split decision. That was a really good fight. Then he fought Obakar, 
So that's two wins. Then he lost to Felix Trinidad. But the thing about that fight was, that was close. A, lot, a lot of people felt he was winning and he just he took was. the gas um, that he could have easily just won that fight. Then, so that's his, his loss. Then he loses to Daryl, or he win, he beats Daryl Coley. Then he loses to Shane Mosley, one of two losses, which those were real close fights. He beat Gotti. Uh, then he beat Fernando Vargas. He, he beat Compass. Lost to Mosley again. Beat some fool named Strum. And then he lost to Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins is kind of a bigger dude. Uh, so that one, you know, all right. He beat Mayorga. Well, bigger and good. Yeah, Bernard Hopkins is a great fighter, too. Not just bigger, too. And then uh, he beat Mayorga. Then he lost to Floyd. No shame there. Then he beat Steve Forbes. And then he lost to Manny. So, yeah, like when you look at his losses, fuck. He lost to Mayweather, Pacquiao, Hopkins, Mosley, Trinidad. I mean, they're all monsters, you know? Yeah, and I remember he was dating Shannon Mochler, who was a former Miss USA, and she was an actress. And I think, I bet you around that time, uh, I'm not trying to pin it on her, I think she became a former Mrs. of Travis Barker, who's now with Kourtney Kardashian, whatever. Um, But that Hollywood circle, you know what I mean? That fast life. um, He got caught up in it, partying. You kind of hear the same thing about Liddell. and that's it, you know. But I'm gonna have to go back and listen to the Oscar interview. I haven't heard. I only heard little excerpts here and there, and I think some of it, mostly what I heard, was about him wanting to make up with Dana White. Dana White's always said some stuff about him, you know, makes it sound like he could care less if they ever become friends or not. But you never know. All right, it's time to talk to Graham Boylan, who is the promoter of Cage Warriors, Cage Warriors 139, taking place in a few days. Let's talk to him. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another superstar in the world of mixed martial arts. This time we get to talk to Cage Warriors president and promoter, Graham Boylan. He's got a show headed for you this Friday. It's Cage Warriors 139 down in San Diego. That's right. They're in the UK. They're in Europe. But as of late, they've been partying down in America's finest city. The show goes down on the UFC Fight Pass. And, of course, you can find out about the fight card at cagewarriors.com. Follow along with us so you can learn more about the promotion. It's also your guide to Eventbrite, which will lead you to get a ticket. Tickets start at 60 bucks. It's a beautiful venue. It's outdoors. I've seen concerts there. And with any luck, perhaps I will even be there uh, this weekend. Eric Sanchez and Max Roskopf is your main event. Welcome, Graham. How are you? I'm very good, gentlemen. We're... Uh... We're in the midst of fight week, so everybody's arrived in from London. Teams arrived, setting everything up, and the uh, I think the fighters start arriving tomorrow into San Diego. Yeah, those who are not living here. Seven shows now in 2022, and I like how you bang them out. Some of them back to back. You guys have been rocking it, but now this is, I think, your third show maybe in San Diego. Talk about the slow um, the West Coast. You know the 
migration of cage warriors, how that's been, is it kind of what you envisioned? San Diego, like a lot of people don't know, is your home, and now you return back to the UK and Europe when you guys are doing those shows. Yeah, it's been, so the, the, the San Diego episode for Cage Warriors started off just by accident. You know, I was talking to some guys, I'm training with guys down there, and they, they slowly started realizing Cage Warriors could be a possibility with me living here. Um, we realized there was no other pro shows in the area. So we just did it as a marketing exercise for the first couple of events. There was no no advertising. There was no um, big spend of marketing. It was a case of let's put the show on and see what happens. And, you know, we're three sold-out shows so far in eight months, and we're on our fourth sold-out show this Friday night. That's incredible. And so Southern California, especially the south-south portion, like we were talking about, San Diego, needed something like that, you know? And so in your opinion, how would you grade yourself the splash that you guys have made, the buzz around town with Cage Warriors now going on its fourth show? It, look, the, 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 the way the city has embraced Cage Warriors coming in has been nothing short of just fantastic. You know, there are shows, L.A., upwards you know there are some shows up there where the guys can fight on but a lot of the guys down here they, they've got to leave the state they got to leave the country to get fights so the, um, i think the city and, and the southern california area was was crying out for something like this and it's here now they got four shows a year um and it's up to them to make the most of it and you know get the fans on seats to support the fighters and they've shown that they want it here you know, like I said, we're we're not doing we're not doing a hell of a lot to push this show, and they're selling out every time. So, you know, the fight the, the fight fans are here, the industry is here. They were just lacking a TV high production TV based show, and that's what Cage Wars is. It's a it's a high level high production organization putting on the best fights we possibly can with the hands we're dealt with. With a lot of history, you guys have over a hundred shows. You visited over twelve countries. And if I'm not mistaken, what are we at? 107 athletes that Cage Warriors has put into the Ultimate Fighting Championship. I know you're very proud about that. Um, it's quite the launching pad that you have there, Graham. It is. It is, man. You know, look, we, we have this. We have this thing at Cage Warriors. Right? There's the matchmakers, and then there's me sitting across them. And it's quite simply, let's get every person a level up on their next fight. No matter what you've had on this fight, your next fight is a level up. Your next fight is a level up. Your next fight's a level up. And hopefully, by the time they get to that, you know, UFC eyes on them, they're battle-tested. They're battle-ready. They're, they're the guys who have climbed to the climbed to the top of this divisions, of the divisions that we have here. And I've said it to others. Uh, I've been saying it for nearly nearly a decade now. I see us as the, the NBA draft as such for the UFC, you know? All the guys who get these belts, the guys who are contenders, they're the number one, number three picks, two, three, four picks within the MMA industry in Europe that the UFC are looking on. So, you know, it's do good here and there's bigger eyeballs on you. No doubt about that. And recently we saw uh, an, an incredible coronation of – Two recent uh, Cage Warrior graduates, Molly McCann, Patty Pimblett, they seem to be around you a lot, soaking up some San Diego. Then they go back. But, wow, in London, they really stole the show. How proud were you of your athletes that night 
you know, there was a lot that went down there. There was obviously Cage, them being Cage Warrior alumni, them being friends of yours, got people that you've guided in, in their careers. Can you go back a few months and talk about that night and how special that was? Yeah, that was an amazing night. And and for Cage Warriors as such, because, you know, I think there was like 12 fights. I think eight, nine of them were Cage Warriors alumni. Um, and for for... I think nearly all of them won. There might have been one or two losses, but to, to see uh, 70% of a UFC card in London and nearly everybody on there being from Cage Warriors was just fantastic for us to watch because it's like we, we helped just a little piece, a little piece in our career carve that path. You know, we were, we were a small little story um, in their entire book as such to, of their careers to, to get to where they were. And and Molly and Patty and Jack Shore, you know, to to see all them uh, do that thing when there be three names that I would think would be been on Cage Warriors from their day dot professional um, debuts who have grown up on the organization to see them go from where they were to where they are, it's it's a special feeling to see them do that, um, you know. And like I said, myself included and the team. We're just happy for them. We're happy for them to get to where they need to get and carry on guiding them in any way we possibly can. Have you ever felt a rivalry with you and Rob from CFFC and maybe Ed and Sven from LFA? I'm sure everybody kind of keeps their numbers, you know, in terms of who else is putting their athletes in 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 the in the UFC or other shows and you know the success of their fighters. How is that between you all? Do you keep do you keep tabs or track? No, we, we we just concentrate on what we have to do, you know. Um, we know what we do is uh, the, the work that we do, our actions are shown in the work. Um, we know that the guys that we send to the UFC are battle ready um, and tested and they're going to do well. So, you know, we, we don't worry about what other people are doing or what the competitive nature of the game is, Um you know, sometimes you can get clashes, but on the whole, we try to stay away from them. You know, we stay away from that as much as we can. Talk about your main event, lightweight division, Eric Sanchez versus Max Rashkoff. We know Max Rashkoff. He's an extreme couture guy. That's kind of been our home gym for the last few years as we've been in Vegas as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about his opponent, Sanchez? Yeah. So I'm going to give you an exclusive right here, right now. There's a strong possibility that main event's not happening. Um, wow. I, yeah, I think Eric may, um, I'm, I'm waiting for an absolute, I'm, I've not been in the office today. I've been running around in meetings, but, um, they were waiting on a, a second test. I think he's tested positive for COVID. And that's on the Sanchez side? On the Sanchez side. Yeah. So okay. um, I think uh, where, so I, I think the matches, the matches are dealing with it. And la- last I heard, um, uh, Sanchez was getting a, uh, a test to figure out whether um, it was COVID. I think it was the lateral flow home test he did was, that was showing up as positive. So he's going to get it um, confirmed by a lab to make sure that it is actually what it is. And the matchmakers are already looking to see is there a replacement to step in. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Is someone to, mm-hmm. to step in for Max? You guys are already looking at that possibility then? Yeah, the, the the guys are already all over it. Just in case that is a one hundred percent. Like I said, I've not, I've not been around it today. I've been out doing other bits and in, in meetings, so I'll get a full update on that around four or five o'clock. Um, 
but you know it's it, it's what happens in this in this era that we're living in you know um covid is still a strong player when it comes to sports and testing and everything that goes on so um there's a possibility that fight may have to be rescheduled Graham, I'm kind of curious about something you were talking about earlier. You threw around some some big names, you know, and I'll even add uh, Conor McGregor's name to that. You know, you've been a part of building the sport. And w- one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was, when you meet these people for the first time, because you meet them before all of us, is there something within them that you see right away, this person's going to make it, this person's going to be a star? Are there certain things that stand out for you? Yeah, well, look, there are things that stand out with the individuals after that rise, but then they've got to back that. They've got to back everything up that we see in them when we match them and when we put put them on show on the platform. When we put them on show to the whole world and we put them in there under the lights, they've got to shine and they've got to back up everything that we think we see in them. Um, and it, it can be hit or miss. We could look at someone and say. This this guy, this girl, they're going to be huge. They've got everything. They've got the, the marketing side. They've got the packaging side. If they can fight, this person's going all the way. And you know, we we've had a few people who we thought would go all the way, but they just didn't. They lacked that that fighting bit that was needed. Um, so we do see things. We see the sparks, um, and we speak to coaches and. We understand where they're at level-wise when it comes to matching them and giving them those tests. But, you know, they, they, they've they got to perform in the octagon too as well as as well as well outside. I don't think the sport is, is about fighting anymore. I think you have to have that certain X factor about you to, um, to attract the eyeballs outside of the sport and outside of the octagon too. I mean, there are some absolute killers out there but outside of the octagon, they don't have anything and nobody really, there's no shine to them. And it's hard to teach that. That was going to be my next question. So that little it factor that comes along with it, there haven't been too many fighters that have been successful without it. You know, think of uh, George St. Pierre, you know, he was able to do it. But I mean, think about the career that you have to have to kind of mm-hmm. go around not having that little it factor behind the scenes. Is that something that a fighter can pick up along the way from other fighters or is it something that can come out of them or do you know right away whether they have that or not? Um, I, th- I think with most you can see straight from the get-go whether it's there. Um, some you can see it's there but it needs a lot of developing and it, it needs you need to kind of drag it out of them. And once it's out, they just go off into their own world. Um, well, I do... I do believe it's something they have to have within them, you know, because like I said, we've had some killers over the years, but just outside the octagon, there's just nothing there. Nobody, people would look at their knockout and go, yeah, that was great, but there's no, no personality there. There's not, there's nothing else there to drag people in. And unfortunately, you know, it's the entertainment industry. It's the fighting industry. It's also the drama industry. You know, there's a lot of drama goes with, mixed martial arts, drama sells. And if there's no drama, it doesn't sell. If there's, there's no entertainment, it doesn't sell. So, you know, 10 years ago, it was about the fighting. Even five, six years ago, it was about the fighting. Now it's the fighting, the entertainment, and the drama. Everything's got to be there in one package to actually tie someone to a rocket and let them take off to the next level. 
do you communicate that with the fighters and tell them exactly what you're telling us? Because we've been saying it to we're blue in the face. You know, it. yes, you have to entertain as well as fight. If you do that, the promoter usually will kind of guide you and give you a little bit more of a quicker shove as you ascend upwards. Then if you don't have that, it seems like you have to take the longer road to get there. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, can the promoter um, not force that on them, but hint it just because that it factor has to be so organic as well. Yeah. Yeah, look, we, we advise. Um, we explain to guys, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we go live. We broadcast Cage Warriors live into 180 million homes across 110, 115 countries. It's a huge platform. As well as UFC Fight Pass globally, you know, the, the eyeballs and the, the broadcast footprint is absolutely massive. It's it's down to the guys to make the best use of that that they possibly can. And there's only so much you can advise without somebody going overboard and it looking fake. So yeah. it's kind of naturally got to be in there. Otherwise, it just, you know, you're going down a road where you can very easily get hated rather than actually draw the right eyeballs and the right attention to yourself, if that makes sense. Totally. And the reason I wanted to have you on is because since we last spoke, you have struck some huge deals for Pimlet and McCann. Seven-figure deals with Barstool Sports to have them as brand ambassadors. Now, that obviously is an outlet that has blown up as well, and they tend to recognize who are the movers and shakers, who gets the eyeballs, who gets the clicks. How did you guys uh, communicate that? Did they recognize that in your athletes, or did you bring it to them? Because that was a really, really cool deal to see in the in our sport for two young athletes to uh, to uh, benefit from. Yeah, I tell. I, t- I think uh, so. After Paddy's um, debut in the UFC, we, his messages and inquiries blew up. So it was a case of speaking to who was the best partner for him. Um, and there were there were quite a few gaming um, sports book partners that came forward um, for Paddy's signature. But Barstools for us was, and Dave Portnoy, who we've worked with at Barstools, that for us was the, the best fitting factor in terms of pa- uh, Paddy's character. Um, and we thought that, it, that those two brands um, were an ideal fit. And then, of course, with Molly and that absolutely insane KO mm-hmm. that she that she laid on with that spinning elbow, that just brought even more eyeballs to her and the, the whole team and the vibe and the connection between them, that brother and sister um, connection that they have. And, you know, it, it made sense for that to happen, for, Mo- for Molly to naturally flow into Barstool's. That's awesome, man. When I saw that, my jaw dropped, but I was like, bravo, bravo to the athletes themselves, but whoever was behind that executing it, and of course I knew that was you, great job on that. All right, let's close with this. Uh, I'm suffering from COVID right now, but I'm also about an hour away from your show on Friday. A couple negatives, I'd love to go uh, go and see it You know, uh, down at Humphreys. I've been there for concerts. And uh, I really want to watch some MMA, but at the same time, I know the risks involved, so I will, I will be responsible, Graham. But man, I'm telling you, that's my goal this weekend. 
Uh, is it okay if I wear my Dodger hat? I know you've really taken in them Padres. <laughs> on that end, but I, I might walk in with my Dodgers blue. You know? <laughs> Bring your Dodgers blue as long as the whole place doesn't start shouting the old Padres song against against LA, right? Yeah. <laughs> you still got a couple um, of yellow gloves for us, right? I mean, those things are iconic. We have our set. Like you can see, Goes is back in Vegas. I think you promised us one or two. I'd love to bring those back as well, man, because those those things are they they just really really uh, stand out. And um, yeah, like we I have, said, we I haven't seen your yeah, show just we, do we tremendous haven't, We haven't, and we probably never will sell those gloves. Those gloves can only be gotten from a fighter, be gotten oh, wow. from in the cage, or be gifted to a studio and great set of guys like you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. We really, really appreciate that. Um, you know, one last thing here. This is this is the drama side, all right? But at the same time, I want to hear it rather than the athletes butting heads. Maybe can you chime in a little bit on, on the whole Dillashaw and Pimblet thing? Um, is that really a – like, does Dillashaw have any points, you know, in, in what he's making? Like, so, in other words, look, I watch American football – I've seen some athletes sometimes when they're younger have some earlier successes, and man, sometimes they it goes to their head or whatever. Pimblet, would you say he's someone that that we would have to worry about in that regard? Like, make, you know, he's just out there enjoying life, possibly too much or no? What What are your thoughts there? No, um, when Paddy won and became a Cage Warriors world champion, a lot of eyeballs came on him then. Mm-hmm. And he was living the life. He was the superstar. Um, the superstar had been created in that moment. And the months that followed um, were months where he'll tell you himself, where he ended up, everything did get to his head, being that Cage Warriors champion, because he was young. Mm-hmm. Um, and it messed him up a little bit. He started hanging out with the wrong people and, you know, he, he, he got that fat head and started living life way too good. Um, so he's kind of been there and he's experienced it. And he's experienced it at a young age. So what he's doing now is just enjoying life after a camp, having some food that he's been craving for eight to 12 weeks while he's been in camp, you know, blows up for four or five weeks. I spoke to him today. And he's already lean and skinny. You know, mm. he, he's able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole Dillashaw thing, look, there isn't a fighter on the UFC roster now that's not going to use his name in some way, shape, or form to try and just grab a hold of his coattails, to try and just grab some kind of mention or some kind of one-day five-minute Twitter spat to get some attention on their name um, from those who need it. And he is so popular. It doesn't matter who you are on the roster right now. To have a little spat with him is going to do your following some uh, some decent attention numbers. That's what's up. All right. Straight from Graham Boylan. Uh Cage Warriors OG promoting a show this weekend. It's Cage Warriors 139. Catch it on the UFC Fight Pass. Go to cagewarriors.com for your links if you want to take in the show. You're saying sold out. I saw maybe a couple tickets are, are available. 
Can you square that up? Are there a few tickets available to get in, or, or is that it? Is yeah, it if, 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 we, if we get to a point where there's like 25, 30 tickets left, it's a fucking setup. You know? Got it, got it. All it, right. It, it's like when, when, there's that, when there's that little tickets left on a Monday of fight week, this show is done. Yeah. I mean, you can jump online and grab, what, grab what's there, but there, there ain't a lot yeah. to grab. So as far as okay. we're concerned, this show is done. Nice. All right. Cool, man. Well, again, thank you very much for the time. Great catching up with you. And thank you for your contribution to this sport of ours, man. Cage Warriors definitely has done a lot over the time. And we're really, really happy for your success. Thank you, guys. We appreciate your support. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you soon, Graham. Cheers. Now, see, this is what I've always liked about Graham. Did you notice that every answer is very measured? He does have a little bit of way of a way of um promoting and talking a little bit of smack but always kind of keeping his cool mm-hmm. yeah that's the thing he always he keeps his cool but he keeps it real too at the same time exactly yeah so interesting what he's saying patty pimblet whatever picture that it was that i saw in that padres uniform where he looked more like kurt Schilling than patty pimblet he's saying he's skinny he's back to skinny and he's ready to go so that's good to hear. And monster deals he signed with Barstool for his fighters. Seven-figure deals for both of them to be fight ambassadors. Um, that That's that's awesome. Um, okay, goes. so you have any final thoughts going into this weekend's U- UFC 275 card? I mean, just that, like, sometimes it's these cards that, you know, we're, we're not, not shitting on, but that we're kind of taking it to it a little bit. Those are the ones that end up being really good, so. I'm definitely tuning into the whole thing. And I'm sure I'm going to be surprised by some of these fights. But honestly, I, I just don't know how that feature fight and even the main event aren't aren't good fights. Hmm. Yeah, they did their job in giving us a quality main event, a quality co-main event, an awesome featured belt, and then the rest, there is a drop-off. But this could be, in fact, I forgot to tie it in, this could be a chance for a new star or some stars to be born. So we'll definitely tune in and check it out. And then there's a few fighters that are just doing crazy stuff, like Andre Fialio. This is going to be his fourth fight in 2022. He wanted to stay busy. He's staying busy. The UFC is giving him that opportunity. He's got Jake Matthews. Um, But I like Fialio, man. As long as his body's still functioning and he can fight at a high level, you know, I I do believe in a little bit of rest and recovery. But I think he's just kind of like fluid right now. You know what I mean? And and he's confident, and so that's why he's like, give me more. And a lot of those guys that have kickboxed, you know, some kickboxers that have records of like 170 and 20 just because they, they're they always active, so they're they're used to it. But I still think that before half the year's over, for someone to have four fights, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty uh, – I think if you look at like Rotang's record, right, like a lot of these guys that, that do Muay Thai and all that, the records are astronomical. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, last thing. The Ultimate Fighter. Goes has watched a couple episodes. I've watched all but one. So I want to be, be very careful because I don't want to spoil it for him. But at the same time, I guess we have a duty to our audience to kind of discuss a little bit. Um, so without giving away results, just give me some impressions of The Ultimate Fighter and, and so far. It's making me upset that their big hook was that there was probably going to be some heat 
between these two girls, but there's not that many moments of that at all. I uh, was I have been surprised about Juliana Pena's commitment to her coaching. I think that's to be admired. Uh, the level of the fighters has maybe dropped off a little bit, but that that's nothing against this season. It's just been sort of overall. But um, I mean, it hasn't been the worst thing in the world. I couldn't have said it better. Um, both coaches seem very committed to their fighters. But Juliana, maybe because she speaks English, the cameras are just more on her because she can communicate what her thoughts are or whatever. But she really seems like she's been all in on it. I, again, I'm not saying that Amanda hasn't. It's just Juliana comes off better on camera in, in that regard because of the way she, like I say, is communicating. and um, So it's been pretty cool, to tell you the truth. Because so many coaches have just phoned phoned it in. Being a coach is it used to be kind of a big privilege back in the day. It also came with you driving away in a Range Rover, you know, and you got to bring some of your extra coaches in, and they'd make a little bit of money and get some face time. But now some of the pop fighters are so popular that by the time they're either asked to do it, they probably just don't want to do it. You know, they'd rather be spending their money. Conor McGregor is a great example of it. Or you're such a veteran in the sport that you're like, really? They don't know who I am? But, yeah, part of the thing is building up the fight. This fight hasn't been built up, but it doesn't mean that I'm not interested because, regardless, the greatest of all time lost to this gal. You know what I mean? But I am waiting for them to chirp a little because why not make 1.5 million pay-per-views, you know, instead of a million or a million instead of 500,000, like, Go all in, ladies. Sell this damn thing. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. That that's at least that's how I would look at it. Especially if I'm Juliana. Juliana's the champ. She gets the pay per view cuts. So I bet you Amanda has something maybe in her contract where she might still get some just because she was on top for so long. But be a be a business, be a better businesswoman. You know this goes for both ladies. I, I wish they would pick it up. Now it's not too late. The filming's over. The season's over, but before every episode, you could still be doing interviews, getting people to tune in, and then using that time during those interviews to promote the upcoming fight. I want to see more of that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, Amanda's kind of gone away, really, ever since she had the, the baby. Like, you don't really see very many interviews with her anyway. So you're right. Definitely now is the time, but, but I just wish there was a little bit more to that. Um, that's the only part that really has bothered me about the season so far. Yeah, and in closing, I will say this. Dana was asked in one of his interviews about, hey, Habib versus Tony. And he said, well, he goes, would you really want to watch a whole season, hear these guys chirp, but know they're not going to fight? And the interviewer said, yeah, I would. And then Dana, I'm just kind of shortcutting it here. Dana at the end said, all right, you might have sold me. Almost like he was into it. A, Dana White usually stands firm on his ground. So the fact that the interview interviewer may have sold him, pretty cool, you know. Um, I kind of understood it a little bit more. Like, I was also thinking it was a great idea, and here's why. Because you don't pull fighters that are currently um, wanting to be active and shelve them for nine months because of the way it's recorded and edited. The season has to play out, then they fight. That was one complaint I used to have. I'd just rather have them fight. But 
with Habib being retired and Tony no longer really being a top contender, you can almost just kind of have these two and give us a taste of what it would have been like, even if they don't fight. But you never know. Maybe this is what it would take to pull Habib out. Who knows? Um, so it might possibly be worth the risk. But I did, I did see Dana's point. It just needed to be reminded. That's kind of the nice point about it is having the coaches settle it later on in the season. Um, maybe because this season we haven't seen the friction and it's been so long since we've had consistent seasons, that got lost on me. But he wants Habib to, like if it were up to him, Habib would fight. He has no more cards to play. And then just magically this card was thrown into the deck. I would play it if I'm Dana. Why not? Like what, what do you possibly have to lose? Plus, it's no secret, right? As much as he wants Habib to come back, if Habib goes, all right, I'll come back, I'll fight Oliveira, Dana White will be happy, don't get me wrong, because he gets a star back. But the only thing that madman cares about is him versus Connor part two. So all he's thinking is, oh, all right, he wants to fight Oliveira. Somehow we got to give McGregor in the audience. And you know what I mean? Like there's this whole big concoction that's so big that if this is the start of it, sure, he'll show some interest. But I find it hard to believe that that's not the end game. And if I'm Tony, I'm just do I'm doing everything. I'm bringing in Connor for a day and just go, hey, look who I got to teach class today. Like anything to get them ratings up and to just cause madness. Yeah. In fact, uh, well, they would never do it. I was gonna say. Matter what, Connor's always headlining Cardi's on, but um, it, it ain't it funny how when big name fighters are on the same card, if something were to fall out, boom, mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to make a fight. All right, folks, we're gonna get on out of here. This show always makes me forget about the stuff that's going on, and at least I forgot the, the about the Rona for almost an hour. Um, Thank you so much for your support. Do not forget that on Saturday, Ghost and I are going to be hosting a UFC 275 watch along. We're also going to have a preview show earlier in the day. I imagine it'll be same time as usual, 5 Eastern, 2 Pacific, with Fada Hanun um, quarterbacking that one. And then Ghost and I will be around at 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific for the watch along. Now, Ghost and I may surprise you all and dip in a little bit early. Remember, the earlier plans were that I had another commitment, but I still wanted to do this. The Rona's just flipped everything uh, upside down, so you may see us in there early. So just kind of keep an eye on it. Check out our social media. I'm at MMA Junkie George on Instagram and Twitter. Goes is at the goes on Instagram and Twitter. We'll update you as we get closer. Keep it locked on MMA Junkie throughout the week. We have a hard team working both in Singapore and back home to bring you all the latest content from that fight card taking place in Singapore. Two title fights and a great feature bout. Lots of big stars being discussed and covered. All right, folks, we're out of here. Go out and be a champion. Enjoy your weekend.